0: We're in 1 Peter, and looking at the um, suffering of the early church, and praise the Lord, we're not as locked down as they were. Well, they were not locked down, they were chased out. (laughs) They were chased out of Jerusalem or all over the world. With not near as many comforts as we have today, the ability to move and transport themselves around. That's 1 Peter chapter 4, and looking from verse 12 to 14 tonight. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the name of uh, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Let's pray. Thank you again, Lord, that we can look into your holy word and receive wisdom and instruction in a day in which we see some ominous things coming and maybe some tribulation and certainly in other countries we know that they're under severe persecution as was the early church that Peter lived in. Lord I pray that you would give us wisdom and guidance as we see these things happening around us and Lord direct direction from your word. Lord bless us and we, we might glory in suffering also and Lord that these strange things, as the Bible says tonight, they come upon Christians. Lord, we wouldn't count them strange, but understand from the Bible what, what they are and why they come. We ask, you, Lord, your blessing on those that are here, those that couldn't make it, those that are locked down and are not allowed to make it, but would like to be here, and, Lord, those that are listening in as well. We ask your blessing on each and every one in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> So we're looking in in these three verses at the exploration of suffering. Last week we looked at the exploitation of suffering, how we can exploit it and use it to our advantage, and now the exploration of it. (coughs) Reckon on it, rejoice in it, and rely in it, (laughs) Um, something we can do as we rely on the Holy Spirit as we go through the suffering. Where do we experience suffering? Well, we can experience it in our neighbourhood. We can experience it in the school. If we're younger, at work, we can experience suffering in the family. And often in the early church, they did that too. We can experience suffering even at the church. For there are, as the Bible tells us, tares among the wheat. And that's found in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. And the Lord said, let them both grow together and let them be rooted up at the last time. Lest rooting them up, you'll root up the wheat also. Just talking to some of the farmers that were here. They usually spray the weeds out during the growth. But they can't get on it to do it. It's so wet that they destroy too much crop. They sink and get bogged in the crop. So they can't spray the weeds out. So they just have to let them grow together this year. Um, unless they have a helicopter or something like that to spray it. And little Samuel was... Samuel, Not little, he's growing bigger. Sorry, Samuel. <laughs> he's, growing, he's growing up quick. But he was saying the plane out their way is going flat out all the time, just spraying crops. <laughs> From the weeds. It'd be good if we do that and inoculate the churches against those that are tares among us. But this here is talking about general that what we just referred to is talking about general suffering. Here the sort of suffering that Peter's talking about here is more specific. He's talking about strange concerning the fiery trial. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. Because we know some things from the Bible and who it is we're fighting against. Who who is it? We've been speaking of him a little bit lately in the morning service, haven't we? About Satan. He's not our friend. He's a deadly foe of the Christian. And he's out to beat us down. And as the book of Revelation says, he accuses the brethren... Day and night before the Lord, as he would when asked about Job. And we have quite an insight there as we read through the book of Job, twice there. That God reminded uh, Satan about Job. And he's, oh well, you're only protecting him. And as soon as Satan was given permission, and praise the Lord that he protects us, doesn't he? And when Satan was given permission, he did all he could to make Job's life miserable. Um, There was a devotion some time back on the 28th of June. I found it interesting. I'll read this again to you, and you'll probably remember it. On the 28th of June, in a devotional, the Reader's Digest article described a harrowing incident that took place in Texas in 2018. Jeremy's wife, Jennifer, was working in a garden when she spotted a rattlesnake next to her hand. Hearing a cry of distress, Jeremy came to her rescue. He was able to strike the reptile with a shovel, severing the head from the body. Ten minutes later, he decided to remove the dead reptile, its head lying limp on the ground. As his hand drew near, the lifeless head, with lightning speed, buried its fangs into Jeremy's right hand down to the bone, like a chicken with his head cut off. This creature still had reflexes and was able to inflict a poisonous blow. It was amazing, Jeremy lived. He barely made it to the hospital in time and needed 26 doses of anti-venom. He almost died of kidney failure and two fingers had to be amputated. Likewise, Satan, the old serpent, received a deadly blow when Jesus Christ died at Calvary. There the serpent's head was crushed and he was defeated Christ betook of flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, that is the devil. Hebrews 2.14 The prince of this world is judged. John 16.11, and stands condemned. Yet, although the serpent received a head-crushing blow at Calvary, just like the serpent with his head cut off with the incident we just recounted there, he is still able to do a great deal of damage and destruction. 1 Peter 5.8 He is a defeated foe even though his final judgment is yet future. We need not fear this enemy because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Praise God that only one dose of marvellous anti-venom of the shed blood of Christ is necessary to save each believing sinner from Satan's deadly venom. I thought that's appropriate. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial because Satan is sure to try to inflict as much agony and venom and bite to us as he can, because we were once his children and we've changed. We've become the children of God, have we not? We're citizens of heaven now. We're sons of God and not sons of Satan anymore. And Ephesians 2 tells us about that, as you read the first few verses of chapter 2. So reckon on the trouble to come, and the fiery trial that happened that these people in Peter's day was going through in the early church was certainly a fiery trial. It was unleashed through Nero. The official persecution started then and went for 300 years. And it may even be starting up again today, building toward a terrible time at the end of time, knowing as the tribulation. Um, Three things here, as I said earlier, the outline. Reckon on it. One writer said it will be guaranteed, it will be gladdening, and he outlined it like this we haven't, but guaranteed, verse 12, it will be gladdening, (laughs) verse 13, and it will be glorifying to the Lord in verse 14. These experiences. A godly Christian citizen of Rome who lived wholesome, upright, exemplary lives under Nero were persecuted without mercy. And uh, they were the citizens that were exemplary and yet they were persecuted mercilessly by Nero and accused falsely. And from Nero, with 10 of these emperors rising and persecuting for 300 years, domination, Trajan, Marcus Severus, Maximum, and uh, last time I shared with you that i have been reading Miller's church history of that period of time, and it um, sickens you to read that. The last one was Diocletian, and I read mostly that one, reading that. And <clears throat> sobers you up to think of the early church and the things that they went through. If you've never read it, just read the early church history from a reputable, <laughs> reputable church historian, uh, godly person. And the strange thing of today is different to what it was of that day. Things are changing, but the strange thing of today is what's written in Revelation chapter 3. At the end of chapter 3, you have a church that is in prosperity. I am rich, and I am increased with goods, and I have need of nothing. I don't even need the Lord. He's shut out of the church, the and church. That's a strange thing. And... And John, just back in Revelation chapter 3, I mean chapter 17, he looked at this unholy church that we've looked at a few months ago in a morning service and he couldn't believe his eyes because he was in the church that was beginning to suffer. In the early church, he lived to 90 years old and he saw the church and the suffering of it he saw, saw what Nero was doing to it and the persecution and then he saw this mystery Babylon the great the mother of harlots in verse 5 the abominations of the earth and saw a woman which was representative of the this mystery church with the drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus when I saw her he wondered with great wonder and so <clears throat> he is marveling that this strange thing had happened to the church as he was prophetically looking down the corridor of time and seeing this terrible thing called the church, which was really just Christendom, not the church, with the prosperity and all the jewels riding the political system of the day at the end of time. That's where we are. And the popularity of it, uh, the megachurch of the end times, predicted in prophecy, and so a strange development, certainly, that John saw. But the strange thing of Peter's day was the fiery trial, not the flash and fancy thing of all the money and the riches of the last church, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. You know, in, in the old man, in well, in the, with the human thinking, if you do right, surely you must be... Respected for it, you must be rewarded for it, and um, you can think of Psalm 73 and other scriptures that say, you know, if you do right, you will be blessed. And we have to be sure that we live in a world that Satan governs to quite a degree. God does guide us through, but he will be sure to bring everything he can, Satan against those that do right and as you read through church, church history as you read through Bible history Old Testament history you see the saints that did right suffer so count on it and you say "Say, so, well, it doesn't seem right you look at Job it doesn't seem right he did right he suffered for it count on it count on it because we've got an enemy like that snake in the story that latches on and tries to discourage us and dissuade us from walking the straight and narrow road. Some problems in our our lives as Christians are of our own making and our disobedience. And uh, 1 Peter 2.20 speak of that. And some problems are the fiery trials that come upon us because of our faithfulness. If you go to the Gospel of John, chapter 15, and it happened to the Lord, if it happened to the Master, it can come upon us too. Chapter 15 and verse 20. Remember the word, the Lord said, Remember the word that I've said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they've persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The strange thing that happens. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you, for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. And so there is what the Lord has said. Reckon on it. Count that it will happen. Hmm. I've just got an extract from some of the... I won't read it. I <coughs> will leave it. Extract from church history there and the things that they did. It takes time to read through something of that nature. But rejoice in it. Verse 13, back in First Peter. Rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed ye may be glad with exceeding joy. <laughs> now, <clears throat> now, was Peter writing these things as a novice, like he hadn't experienced anything? Or was Peter writing these things in the, as one that had been through the mill, had been experienced in the things that he's talking about? He was an experience. <clears throat> he was a battler. He'd been there and done this. If you notice, this is what about 30 years after 30 years into ministry so this man's been battling for a while this man's coming toward the end of his ministry this man is you know ready to be offered like Paul said the time of his departure was drawing near and so he's not writing as a novice but from personal experience Um, not pious platitudes he had felt the rage and the whip Early on in his Christian life, not when he ran away and was spoken to by a maid, no. and he fled and he lied and he got, he, got, he got himself right out of sorts there, denied the law three times. But just after that, in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts chapter 5, you can read there from verse 17 and following, the high priest arose up and all they that were with him, in the sect of the Sadducees, they were filled with indignation. When you get the Pharisees mad, they all get mad with you. <laughs> and they laid hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. And the Lord, the angel of the Lord opened the prison. and go out in the temple and preach, and they did. Um <clears throat> And verse 28, did we not straightly command thee you shouldn't teach in his name? Behold, you've filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And Peter said, and the other apostles' answered, said, we ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. He's getting bold now, isn't he? You murdered Jesus. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be the prince and saviour, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are his witnesses when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, so Peter's really letting them have it here, but for preaching the truth and telling them what for and like it should be told to them that these these people would not forget this preaching this telling them what they needed to hear straight to the point as Peter told them maybe some of them repented and got saved later who knows um, <clears throat> In verse 40, notice what happened. You see, this is what I say. Peter was not a novice when he was writing First Peter. He'd been under the whip. And to him they agreed, and when they'd called the apostles and what? Beaten them. They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer a shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. Did they stop doing what these fellows told them to stop doing? No, they kept on doing it, even though they been beaten. So they rejoiced, as it says there. Where did it say that they rejoiced? In verse 41. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the Lord. Total different person, once Pentecost had happened, filled with the Spirit of God. Empowered by the Spirit of God, they went out preaching and declaring the truth even after being beaten. They ceased not to preach and to teach in every place. If the devil had them beaten, what did they do? Go to chapter 16 of the book of Acts. Chapter 16 and verse 25. What did these guys do when they got beaten and thrown into jail? And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Had them beaten and they sang praises. And and when they sang, what happened? The prison doors opened. The earthquake happened and the foundations of the prison shaken and God opened the doors. Um... He had the, the the authorities had them killed and what did that release them from they mortal body and it promoted them to glory gave them a martyr's crown they loved not their lives unto death it says and the ones that remained alive went everywhere it says in the scriptures preaching the gospel they rejoiced in the fact that uh, if it killed us it promoted us to glory if it didn't kill us, it, made it, it drove us out to go everywhere preaching the gospel. And They loved not their lives unto death. And if it locked us up, if it had them locked up, in Acts chapter 16, you go on in that story, they won the jailers to Christ. Yeah. And they won the people that, that they were tied to, to the Lord. You know, what can you do with people like that? I mean, we should be like that. <laughs> Wherever you go, take the opportunity on board and use it. And, and Satan will see. well, you, you can't do anything with a person like this. The more pressure you put on them, the more they promote the truth that I'm trying to stop them promoting. That's what God wants of his people. The more pressure they, Satan puts on us, we rejoice in it, we reckon on it, it's going to happen, we rejoice in it and we go out and let... Let people know about the Lord Jesus, and others like Paul. When he was locked up, he'd witnessed to all in the jail, told them about the Lord, and uh, if he did, if he'd done all that, so, somehow he got parchment and pen, and what did he start doing? He started writing, under inspiration of the Spirit of God, and we have what we term or call the prison epistles, that God used to and. and And we could do that too. We could write to people. You must be allowed to have a pen and paper in there to write and encourage others. We won't write epistles now, but we could write and be an encouragement to others. And Paul did that. Um, The book of Revelation came when John was where? (laughs) He was in prison, wasn't he? As it were, he was on the Isle of Patmos for the word of God. He He was there as a suffering saint. You turn them loose, these people, (laughs) and they, as Acts 17 and verse 6 says, and when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come here also. (laughs) So, whatever you do, you throw them in jail, they they sing. You throw them in jail, they'll write. You kill them, you promote them to glory. They write epistles in jail. You let them loose and they turn the world upside down. Now that's a different sort of people to what we know as Christians today, isn't it? Very different. This is the early church. What has happened to the church? (laughs) We got very comfortable. We we, uh, demand our rights. We want what we think's coming to us. Hey, heaven is what's coming to us. Down here, you know, we're born under trouble as the sparks fly upwards. May God turn us loose and turn the, that we might turn the world upside down. Well, as somebody said, right side up. But the perspective of the unsaved people, they're turning the world upside down. Now, <clears throat> and verse 13, as we go back to Peter... The rest of that verse. <clears throat> By rejoicing, rejoicing as much as you partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, he may be glad also with exceeding joy. So in the future, because of our suffering now, gladness and exceeding joyfulness will come. And as was spoken of back there in chapter 1 and verse 7 and 8, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though betrothed with fire, might be found in the future unto praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And folk, it's just around the corner. It's just around the corner real soon. God is not going to replace suffering with glory, but rather transform suffering into glory. So the more suffering, the more glory. And there's the illustration of John's in John's Gospel, chapter 16, in verse 20, where a, a woman giving birth, the baby gave great pain, but also gives great joy. And we go might go through pain, the pain of suffering now, but great glory to follow. Um, even as Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, and verse 7 through to 10, he had a thorn in the flesh. Remember the thorn in the flesh that Paul had. And he besought the Lord three times that it might be removed. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for thee. It's better that it remains for I get the glory through it being in you. For what happens through you with that there is that I get the glory, not you, Paul. And so it remained. And so more suffering would be transformed into the glory for the Lord and life includes (coughs) postponed pleasures for illustration the piano practice (coughs) that you do when you're learning the piano all that hard work and practice you can perform the piece and get the applause later on the athlete we've got the uh, Olympics happening now not that I see a lot of it the only little bits here and there but they exercise and they train and they do all diligence to keep themselves in shape to win the race and they get the glory. And in the Christian, we run the race for the glory that shall follow that uh, when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad. And we can only say what the Bible says, can't we? That if we've run the race and we've run it according to the scripture, when his glory shall be revealed, we will be glad. We will be glad with exceeding exceeding joy but if we haven't run it right we're, we'll get in there but as is it, as written yet as by fire in 1st Corinthians chapter 3 we'll just scrape in don't you want to be one that gets in there with exceeding joy you know roll out the red carpet because you've done the right thing in life and been through the suffering and then verse 14 reliance in our suffering So reckon on it, rejoice in it, and reliance in suffering. Who ministers ministers to us if we are reproached for Christ? If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the Spirit of Glory, capital S, the Holy Spirit of Glory and of God, resteth on you, on their part, is evil spoken of, on your part, he is glorified. So the spirit of glory and of God resteth on you. That's who ministers to us as we minister for him. And just as the glory of God filled the temple, when the priest ministered in Exodus 40 and throughout the Old Testament there, in the tabernacle and the temple, and it was seen even when Stephen was being stoned and received into glory, in Acts chapter 6 verse 15 and chapter 7, So it rests upon us, Acts chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, when serving and suffering for the Lord and when when Peter was, I mean, when Stephen was being martyred for the Lord, the spirit of glory and of the Lord was upon him, wasn't it? And there was a young man called Saul who was holding the, the garments of the people, stoning Stephen to death, who saw all that happening who witnessed the testimony and the sermon that Stephen preached. Stephen's last sermon was not a waste of time (laughs) because that penetrated the heart of the man called Saul and he witnessed the fellow dying and he witnessed the glory of the Lord and he witnessed Stephen saying he saw the Lord standing to receive him into glory and that really would have bugged him. And when that light shone from heaven, Paul knew who it was. And from that testimony of Stephen, it just haunted him. It haunted Saul all the way till he got saved. And then it made him so effective. Nothing could stand in the way of Paul, Saul Paul when he started preaching the truth. It, it was the Lord of glory that entered his heart. No, the spirit of glory was upon Stephen and the same spirit was upon Paul. They, You know, they, they couldn't resist the truth that was in the person that was empowered by God to preach the word. And folks, for a Christian that's empowered by the word, knows the word and has got the spirit of God, they can't resist the truth that's in you. No matter how intellectual and powerful they be, it's the word of God that you have that you've hid, you've prepared your heart for, as you speak the word, that they cannot resist. It's not our wisdom, our word, it's God's word. And so, you know, <clears throat> if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth on you. On their part, the unsaved pieces part, he's evil spoken of. On your part, he's glorified. You know, people mock at us when we say, he's coming again soon, you know. You are mad, they say. You're crazy. All these problems the world has today, they're building like a crescendo, you know. It's like the the drums are getting real loud. Wake up, world. (laughs) Jesus is coming. It's not climate change. It's God doing something to wake the world up. Listen, God is speaking. How loud does he have to get before you wake up? And I pray that the people that you witness to or have witnessed to wake up. Talking to someone the other day, it's been to church here for some time. They moved out of out of town now and, and they said their their family have come to them and said, What you've said is starting to happen, and it's really picking up speed. And he said, Yeah, it is. It is gonna get a lot worse. And they're starting to ask the questions now. What's gonna happen? Well. Just read the Bible and, and, and it's all going to come to pass. You know, the spirit of glory may rest upon you and of God as you go out and tell your friends and family that, you know, we're living in a time that's exciting. It might be devastating, might have to wear a mask, you know, it might be all the other things, the restrictions, but it's a time of opportunity to share with other people. May the spirit, as I say, of glory and of God rest upon us as we go out. And if we, we be reproached, and if we be mocked and laughed at, well, so be it. Because one day, we'll go missing, and they can come looking. So leave tracks about, leave things about that are evidence for them to pick up and read when you're gone. Tell, them, tell, tell some of them that you've witnessed to and talked to even a little bit deeper. Listen. You can have the car, I'll leave the keys in a certain place. <laughs> I mean, leave the keys wherever you leave them all the time. Say so they'll be in the front door in the little cupboard there and you can take the car. It's yours. I won't need it. I don't need it. I've got a heavenly chariot. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've known people that have said that. When a lot of people go missing, you can come and take it all because I don't need it. But you might if you're still down here. That might make them so, think, you know, they're serious about this. <laughs> 'Cause hey, we've got a better place in glory.